0: I'm going to share with you guys this morning um, as we continue our series on Ephesians, but before we do, I just want to um, bring God into this place, not that he's not here, but just uh, to pray and just say, God, just um, open our ears to hear from you this morning. Let us be challenged by your word. So Father God, I thank you, Lord, that you are so incredible, that you love us so much. And God, we come here this morning not just to... um, do something that, that we, we can put off on a checklist, God, but we come here this morning to be in your presence. We come here this morning to, to hear from you, God, to be challenged, to build relationships, to um, walk closer to you. And so, God, I just pray that this morning that as we open up your word that you would challenge us, that you would work in our lives, God, in your precious name. Amen. Amen. So we are continuing in our series for, in Ephesians, so if you do have your Bibles with you um, or your phones to open up your Bible, we're going to start off in Acts. And you're like, what? I thought we were doing Ephesians. And so what I'm doing this morning is to give us an idea of Ephesians, we're going we're gonna to step backwards a little bit. Um, one of the classes I took in college talked about you know, reading the Word of God and reading it to, to understand it in different ways. And one of the things they talked about is, is it was written for a time period. And, and this time period that had meaning for that time period, but then there's this bridge that gaps the, the time and space that, that continues on, and all of a sudden we have now the Word of God, and that same Word of God, even though it was written at a time period and for a time period, it still means something to us and in our life. And so, to understand where we're going at in Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to step backwards first and we're going to read in Acts 21 because it'll give us an idea of what is going on here in Ephesians chapter 2 and why Paul is writing what he is writing to us. So, Acts 21, verses 27. Through, uh, through the end of the chapter, actually 27 through 31. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and they seized him, shouting, Men of Israel, help us. This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And besides, he's brought Greeks into the temple area and defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple area. The whole city was aroused and the people came running from all directions, seizing Paul. They dragged him from the temple and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. So here we have Paul and and, and Paul is, is... you know, someone that they know that had been preaching and he had, he had been preaching to the Gentiles and, and they see him in their temple and they realize that this, the key person in here is a guy named Trophimus from Ephesus. And Paul, they had seen him with them and so they assumed that he would brought him into the temple. So here they are, they're beating Paul almost to death. And they're about to kill him. And so Paul at this time had been thrown into prison. Um, there's, the story goes on there and, and you can continue reading to find out what happens there. But in that time period that he was in prison, he began to write a lot of his letters to the Christian church, churches. And and Ephesians was one of those. And and so we're gonna go into it a little bit and I don't wanna I wanna try to clear this up as we as we walk into this and, and make it so it's not so complicated. But in this story what is happening here is the the people group that that Paul was sharing the gospel with was the Gentiles. And that's us. We're the Gentiles. And the Jewish people were having a hard time with this. It didn't it didn't make sense to, to them what was happening here. But for those of us who are Gentiles, it may be a little bit more complicated what's happening. Actually, let me before I before I go into that, let me just read real quick. Okay, we went from Acts. We understand that, that Paul's writing a letter to the Ephesians, and so we're gonna read our first verse in Ephesians chapter two, as we jump back and forth a little bit. But Ephesians chapter two, we're gonna be going through um, verses 11 through all the way to the end of the chapter. And I'm just going to be taking parts of it and sharing with you a little bit. So the first part of this is, is why this hostility was happening, why Paul was, was seeing this hostility in there, and the importance of, of this hostility that he's mentioning now in Ephesians chapter 2. So verse 11, it says, Therefore, remember that formerly you were all Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. That done in the body of the hands of men. Remember that at the time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in this world. So they they had this group, the two groups, and and have no idea why the Jews decided that would be such a great name, but they called themselves the circumcision. You know, it was probably one guy in the back's like, "Hey, let's call ourselves this," and they're like, "Okay." And and it stuck, but then the Gentiles were known as the uncircumcised. And so they have these these two groups that are going on and this hostility that has developed between them. And and so the Jewish people kind of understood what what was being said here, but but for those of us who are Gentiles, it may be more complicated. What he's saying is there is a conflict, there is hostility, there's animosity between two people groups. Those who are Jewish, called the circumcision, and those who are Gentiles, called the uncircumcised. And now, to understand this, we have to go back even further, further than just Paul being arrested, further than than Paul um, being beaten for this type of stuff, and we have to step back into the Old Testament, where the situation is actually coming from, to a very dysfunctional family, and this is the family of Abraham. So Abraham has two wives, and for most of you, that's one too many, right? So that in itself is is where hostility starts, right? Um, But he had two wives, and... um, the result of that is is he had two sons one with each woman and here where the, the conflict begins to ensue which son would be considered the firstborn which one would have the inheritance rights the family name the blessing and it was promised to be the descendants of Abraham because Abraham was given a promise and so what you have is is two women two sons and a massive conflict To this day, as we go off on a little excursion here, the conflict between Christians and Jews and Muslims is still a large part of this family feud that started many, many, many years ago. And we see this bridge clear today, how this, this conflict is still here. We have the Christians and the Jews who say, well, Abraham, his real wife was Sarah, and Abraham and Sarah had Isaac, and he's the son of the promise. But then those who are Muslim, they'll come along and say, no, 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 it's Hagar and and not Sarah. And it's Ishmael, not Isaac. And we're the descendants of Abraham. And we inherit the promise. And Abraham is our father. And that's the illegitimate side of the family. And so the debate and the hostility is very, very deep and has a very, very long history, as we still see today, of this hostility that's happening. So when, when... Paul is talking about this, there's a, there's a long line of hostility, a long line of animosity that's being built up here, and he's sharing that because the gospel is now being presented to the Gentiles, who were called the uncircumcised. So the result was Abraham himself circumcised himself and his household, and he began circumcising his descendants as an outward sign of an inward covenant with God. It's a great way to explain that if your kid's like, what's he talking about when they ask you about circumcised and uncircumcised? But this wall that was being built between the Jews and Gentiles, and yes, there was an actual wall that had been built between the Jews and Gentiles. And this wall was built in the temple. And so we have the temple at the heart of Jerusalem. And this temple that's at the heart of Jerusalem had a series of walled in courts. And each of these areas had had a a purpose in there. And in the center of the the temple itself, there's a place that only the priests were allowed inside. Because this represented the very presence of God, the holiest of holies. And even then, only one priest was allowed to go into the most holy place, and that was only once a year. Then the next courtyard that was walled in was was called the Court of Israel, which meant that only circumcised male Jews were allowed to come in there. And I've always wondered how they checked that, (laughs) you know? It's just how my mind works when I read through certain things. Um... And then the next courtyard was the court of women, and only Jewish women were allowed in there. Then way out on the outside was the court of the Gentiles, and that's where you were welcome, was the Gentiles were welcome there. So what I, what I tried to do is I try to picture that of, of this being the temple itself, and so we'd have a curtain going across the stage here, and in this curtain that would wall off this area, we'd only allow Ira up here, because he's Jewish, right? For no other reason, but he's Jewish. <laughs> So Ira's being allowed up here into the holiest of holies. And so between the stage here and the first group of chairs, we have another wall that's set up. And that's where the priests would be able to go. And, and, and so that's, you know, Jody and I would be in this area. You know, we're pastors here in the church, so we're, we're allowed in this area. And now we have a curtain that's in front of the chairs, and it goes to the back door. And that would be where only the circumcised men would be allowed. And we'd have, like, Scott Culbertson at the door checking. <laughs> All right. He's like, thanks. <laughs> then outside the sanctuary itself, the doors, as we'd have out in the lobby there, is all the women. And the women could kind of just peek in to see what's happening, but that was it. They could just be outside the courts. Then outside the building itself would be the Gentiles, would be the rest of us. And that's kind of what was set up here. This kind of gives you a, kind of an, an idea of what was happening, these walls that were being built. And if you're on the outside, you're saying, man, this is, it, it is a hostile place. It is something that is separating us. So I take this time to map this out because Paul speaks of walls of hostility. He's not speaking just in the abstract. He's talking about the physical representation of the division and exclusion of people from the community of God. And this is what was happening at that time. So Paul's not just directing this to the Ephesians, but, but he's directing it to all, all people in general. What, what I love about his letter to the Ephesians, Paul wrote a lot of his letters, and a lot of times he wrote the letters inside the church here, to churches, and he was trying to correct something that was going on. He was trying to teach them of what's happening. But really, Ephesians is more not really, even though it says it's, it's, it's to the Ephesians, it's not really directed just to something that's happening in the church. And so what I, I love is I took uh, my own liberties in this, and I took Ephesians 1.1, 1, 1, and I, I kind of rewrote it, because this is what I can, can see Ephesians really talking about, where it says Paul. An apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints at the Adventure Church, the faithful in Christ Jesus. So as you read through this, you have an understanding of, of one, we understand the history a little bit of why Paul is saying what he's saying, but we're also looking at this saying, he's also talking to me. He's not just talking to the church in Ephesus, but he's talking to to every believer in general. And so the the first question, and I I forgot my clicker, Oh, you guys are on it back there good. I always forget to be doing that. So it's much better when they're doing it because I get so wrapped up in this. Um, but, but a question I want to ask you is what identifies you? Um, how many of you guys have been watching some of the Olympics? You guys have been watching that? Um, my family gets wrapped up in it. You know, we just love watching the Olympics um, and just seeing it all. My boy's watching the, the swimming and he's like, dad, I want a Speedo until the men's... <laughs> And he's like, I'm like, all right, until the men's diving came on. And I said, that's a Speedo. And he goes, no, I don't want one of those. <laughs> he's like, I'm good. I'm all right. So, but, but just in general, watching the, the Olympics and, and seeing it and, and you know, the, these people who have, who have just been dedicated and put all this time into this and, and are going for the gold and getting these medals and, and, and pushing themselves from all over the world, not just in America. And there was a story of two gentlemen, and I shared this with our, our youth and uh, they had just won a silver medal, you know. And uh, they interviewed them after, and it was two of the two of the divers, the synchronized divers, and their names were David—I can't always butcher his last name—but Budia, I think, and his—the young man that was diving with it was Still Johnson. And the cool thing about—I one thing about the Olympics, I love watching the competition, but I love some of the backstories they have. Now so they were talking a little bit about these two men and and David had 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 dived before, he had been in the Olympics before, and there's a young man that he was mentoring, that he was teaching how to dive. And he chose him to become his partner and and to be in the synchronized diving where they have to do everything the same. And so they were interviewing them, and, and this is where kind of where my, my title comes out of what I'm, I'm gonna share this morning with you is, is what I titled, What Are You Reflecting, and how this how this compares to this. But in this interview, they they asked him, What does it mean? to come out and meddle here in the synchro event. And David said this, yeah, I just think the past week there's just been an enormous amount of pressure and I felt it. You know, it's just an identity crisis. When my mind is on this and this competition thinking I'm defined by this, then my mind goes crazy. But both of us, pointing at his partner, we both know our identity is in Christ. And we're just thankful for this opportunity to be able to dive in front of Brazil and in front of the United States and it's been an absolutely thrilling moment for us. And so like a reporter, kind of skips over what he said and, and, and then turns to the, you know, the next guy and um, still, and he asks him, you know, for you, it's your first Olympic event. How were you able to maintain your composure so well, being the first time? And still said this, I think the way David just described it was flawless. The fact that I was going into this event knowing that my identity is rooted in Christ and not what the result of this competition is, just gave me peace. If something went great, I was happy. If something didn't go great, I could still find joy because I'm in the Olympics competing with the best person, the best mentor, just one of the best people around. So God's given us a cool opportunity, and I'm so glad I could come away with an Olympic silver medal in my first event. And, and in that, i just looking at that, our identity. And what's our identity found in? What do we identify with? You know, we we read about, at that time, period what Paul was doing with these people that were identified um, as the circumcised and the uncircumcised. And so I I thought about this, and, and, you know, is my identity found in my abilities, my appearance, my job, or my title, my possessions, my past, my failures, my sins? What is my identity found in? And um, the same week, as Daisy mentioned, our kids are getting ready for school, and we had school orientation, and there's a new teacher that's going to teach my, my uh, middle son, Xander. And uh, in this school, they have helpers for every classroom, and, and one of the helpers was like, oh, Xander, he comes from the Steeler family, and that's why he was identified as his family loves the Steelers. And I'm like, oh, that's good. My reputation's working. So, so my son's known as a very bright, smart kid. Um. But, but our identity, and, and so we think about this. How many of you guys looked in the mirror this morning as you were getting ready for church? You know, most of us did. Some of you didn't, but that's okay. <laughs> um, but we do in there, and, and, and what do I see? What do I see in the mirror? What I see is not what everyone else sees. When I look in the mirror, I see what not everyone else sees. And I, I don't mean just the physical, but you yourself see deeper than what everybody else sees because you know what's going on inside of you. You know what, what, what you identify yourself as. What I see is not what everyone else sees. And so the biggest wall of hostility that there is is the, the wall that we've built between us and God. There's a wall that we've built between us and God. David reminds us back in Psalms 51.5, it says, against you only, Lord God, have I sinned. So we bring back this separation between us and God by building up a wall. How do we build walls between us and God? One brick at a time. That's how you build a wall. Each of those bricks are moments in time. Their actions taken, their words spoken, their love withheld. They're a bitter word, a hateful comment, a cold shoulder, a repeated sin. Brick after brick, it's laid down until sometimes the wall is so high and thick that it seems impossible to change. That wall that we place between us and God. Too many times, we let what we struggle with define who we are. I'm an alcoholic, I'm a drug addict, I'm a liar, I'm a cheater, I'm a thief, I'm addicted to porn, I'm angry, I'm bitter, I'm unforgiving. But God doesn't consult your past to create your future. Paul states it in verse 11 when he says, Remember that formerly you were known as this. Formerly, and he's stating this to to those guys, You were known as the circumcised but uncircumcised. And so as we walk in our walk with Christ... God is saying the same thing to us. Formerly, you were known as this. That's not who you are. That's not your identity. And so pretty soon, we've blocked out God with this wall that we've built, and we try to demolish the wall on our own. We try to knock out a brick at a time. Well, I struggle with this, so I'm going to work on that brick, and I'm going to get rid of that brick, and we get that brick gone, but in that same time, we'd either pick that brick up and put it back on there, or we've got replaced it with another brick. So we try to break down this wall on our own, and it just doesn't happen. So we learned earlier that these two separate groups, and we understand them a bit better, but as we continue to read on Ephesians, Paul throws in this very important word. And I, I always circle this word when I find it in my Bible, and I, I kind of jokingly say I love it when, when the, God throws the big butt in the Bible. And there's a but that, throw, that Paul throws in there, and, and it kind of says, you know what, this is what you were formerly known as. This is what may be happening, but, verse 13 of Ephesians chapter 2. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through what? Through the blood of Christ. And so I I titled this first part, The First Reconciliation. The first reconciliation that needs to happen is between us and God. The first reconciliation, and the cross is such a perfect example, and I've shared this before, but the first reconciliation that has to happen has to be this vertical reconciliation. Reconciliation, the vertical one between us and God, the up and down. We have to break down that wall. So what is reconciliation? In the Old Testament, the word reconciliation in the Hebrew was was kaphar. It's K-A-P-A-R and it's pronounced kaphar. This is one of the most theologically significant words in the Bible. In addition to reconciliation, kaphar is also translated into English by words such as forgive, purge away, merciful, as well as a few others, by far the most commonly translated word for kafar in the English English language is the word atonement. When the word atonement is broken down to its historical parts, when you break the word itself, it means a condition without tension, a condition without tension. When Christ died on the cross for us, he removed the tension between us and God. Romans 5.10 kind of shows us where this this tension came from, because there was tension, because we were sinners. We had no right to be in the presence of God. That's why these walls were there, is because the priest could go in there, and and if he wasn't right with God, he'd get yanked out of there dead. And so this wall had been built up there, but Romans 5.10 says, for if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? It says we are God's enemies. It sounds like a wall of hostility, doesn't it? To be God's enemy. And so this wall of hostility is being broken down in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Or Second Corinthians, sorry. Second Corinthians 5, 16 through 21, it talks a little bit about this when it says. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ So his shed blood reconciled the conflict between us and the Father. With this in mind, reconciliation has its biblical foundation, foundation in the atonement of Christ. And what it means and why it's so important, important what Christ did for us is because that reconciliation was happening. That wall was being torn down between us and God. That vertical relationship was saying, you know what? You can have a vertical relationship with God now. That wall is being torn down. And in Greek, the word, the word is, is to reconcile completely. So think about it this way. The biggest wall of hostility in the universe is the wall built between us and God. How many times have we hurt God by our pettiness, our anger, our lying, our cheating, and on and on and on. If anyone had the right to be hostile towards us, it would be God. But God looks at us, he looks at you and he says, I have died to the wall. I've died to your sins, and the many times you've hurt others in me, I forgive you, and I love you. The reconciliation, the vertical reconciliation. As he looks at us with the eternal love, all the bricks vanish. All the bricks vanish. He doesn't leave a few of them around, but all the bricks are now gone. It doesn't mean that we're not going to lay a few more bricks, right? Because we still sin, we still mess up. We know that God loves us and this this vertical reconciliation has happened, but God's destroyed that wall. We're no longer separated from God. And This is what Paul is saying here. So, In this reflection of what are you reflecting, 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. We are now fully known by Christ. The walls come down. So we built this wall that separates us from God. But what does it say that God does? It says, he says It says he sends his son, Jesus Christ, to tear down this wall to reconcile us to the Father through what? Through the blood of Christ. Which leads us to the second part. So we see what we see. We see what we identify ourselves out, But we forget to see what God sees. The second part is, is what God sees. And we continue on in Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 14 through 19, and, and Paul is, is stating this, um, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came, actually right there we'll end. Actually, no, keep going. He came and he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and member of God's household. So Paul's telling these people, the walls are coming down. The walls are coming down. Once we've been reconciled to God, our identity changes. We're no longer seen as we used to be. And so he's trying to tell the Gentiles, you're no longer being seen as the uncircumcised. And the circumcised, these walls have come down. And and I thought about this throughout the, the history of the Bible. There's some people that were seen in a different way. Moses was a murderer and dealt with anger. And yet, he was one of the greatest leaders in Israel's history. Jacob was a schemer and a thief, and yet he wrestled with God and his walk was never the same, physically and spiritually. David was an adulterer, but was later known as a friend of God. Peter was rash, boastful fisherman, but later became the rock upon which Christ built his church. Saul was a persecutor of Christians, and here we are, learning from him today, right? So 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks into the heart. So what does God see? God's not looking at who you were. The things that, that, that you built up, he's looking at, at who you can become. Again, he doesn't, he doesn't look at your past to consult your future, this, is a friend, my friends, is an issue of identity. Their identity is no longer uncircumcised Gentile or circumcised Jew. It is in Christ. Reconciled together as, it said in there, a new man. There's this new group. There's this new category. There's this new group of people called Christians. And so he's talking to us in the same way. A great example of this, of understanding this, is something that we see all the time, and that's a wedding. What happens at a wedding is there's a husband and there's a wife. There's a bride and there's a groom and they come together. And he doesn't join her family, and she doesn't join his family. Together, the two become what? One, and they make a new family. The, 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 as they make one, they make this new family. Some elements and aspects of their former family are still there, but it's a new family. The two become one, and they make this new family. It's kind of like that with Jesus. Jesus. Jews and Gentiles are reconciled together in Christ. They become one, the church, and they start a new family called Christianity. So it gives you this idea of what's happening here: is as, as they still have their heritage, as we get married, we still have the things, our family that's still there, a part of us, and the things that we learn from our family, and the things that are part, traits of our family. And, and our spouse has the same thing, but as we come to begin, uh, together and become one, we create a, a new family. And those reflections are still there. 2 Corinthians four six, 4 6 says this, we can become light in the darkness. And again, being real in your walk with God is reflecting Christ. Philippians 3, verses 12 through 14, it says on there, is it up there? Philippians 3, 12 through 14? Okay, I'll read it from there because I don't have it marked in my Bible. Jump back and forth. Says this, not that I've already obtained all this, or have I or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Reconciliation. So we forget what is behind and strain for what is ahead. When you start living with passion, your life takes on the aroma of God, the taste and the feel of God, the reflection of God, and if it invites others to experience that also. So the, rec- the second reconciliation that I want to talk about and Paul talks about is between us and others. So we have our vertical reconciliation, the wall that was brought down between us and God, and now we have this horizontal Perfect description of the cross and this horizontal um, reconciliation is the Gentiles found this reconciliation between them and God, and so did the Jews, but they were still dealing with hostility towards each other. Thus this is being written from prison. You know, this hostility was, was by why he was in prison. And so what I want you to do is I'd like you to think about conflict that you're experiencing in your life right now. Hold it in your mind. Now, I'd like us to think about conflict like a brick wall that is built between us and the person or the group of people. How do we build a wall? One brick at a time again. Each of those bricks are moments and times. their actions taken, the words spoken, love withheld, a bitter word, a hateful comment, a cold shoulder, a repeated sin. Brick after brick is laid down until sometimes the wall is so high and thick that it seems impossible to change. So just like this wall we had between us and God, we create walls between us and other people. So the Bible finally teaches us that reconciliation means that we must be willing to ask for forgiveness and to forgive if asked. And so it's one thing to go to God and have this vertical reconciliation, but it's another thing that we struggle with when there has to have this horizontal reconciliation that God challenges us to have. The Bible teaches us that reconciliation means that we must be willing to ask for forgiveness and forgive. Matthew 18 is, is perfect when it describes a story, and um, I'm going to read it quickly to you here. It's a story that Jesus told, and Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times, Jesus answered. I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children, all that he had, be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Which is That first part is such a, a perfect example of the king representing God and the servant representing us. And so all of a sudden, that, that, that wall between us and God has been broke down. So what does that person do? He goes out. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. He grabbed him, which is a lot smaller than what he had owed the king. And he grabbed him, and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees, just like he had, and he begged him, be patient with me, and I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off, and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servants just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brothers from your heart. So this forgiveness, this conflict and, and I had a, a video that I was going to show you guys, and we weren't able to get the sound to work. We had the video part of it, and it doesn't make a sen- as much sense if you don't hear what's going on. And, uh, but it was, it was a movie that um, just happened to be watching, and when I was asked to teach on reconciliation, I was just like, wow. And it's called The Railway Man, and it's based on a true story, and it's about a, a, Brit- a British soldier who had been um, captured during World War II. And at that time, he was sent to a labor camp in Japan. And, and at this labor camp, um, it shows, uh, and it doesn't, I mean, it shows some of it, but this at this labor camp, this British soldier was, was basically tortured and tortured. And there was one Japanese translator that was at the head of this, and there was this conflict that started arising between them because he had to translate what was being said um, to these other Japanese uh, guys that were torturing this man. And it goes through his life story of how that, that torture, how it just it changed his whole life and how he reacted to everything. And towards the end of the movie, he gets this opportunity to go back to the actual camp. And that translator was actually working at that camp, um, taking people on tours, showing them about this. And so he went back there with one thing in mind, and that was payback, to, to torture this Japanese soldier in the same way that he was tortured. And he sets it up and he has it has it already, and, and he's ready to do this um, and, and he just can't follow through with it. And now you're not going to watch the movie because I'm ruining it, right? But, but he can't follow through with it. And there's a scene in there where, where he finally lets him go and, and they begin to write letters to one another. And there's a scene where they go back to a place where they're trying to build this rail, railway and he's there with his wife and, and, and he looks down the road and he sees this Japanese man and he walks up to him. And he hands in this letter, and in, in this letter, he's saying, you know, I will never forget those days. I won't forget what I went through, and you probably won't either. But I don't have to keep living it. And he asked this gentleman for forgiveness. And there was, there was the, the emotion that was a part of it was, was done very well in this movie, and it shows that forgiveness. And it's a true story that happened. the, the end credits that I was going to show you was them talking about um, the Japanese... Uh, Soldier died in 2011, and, and um, Eric Lomax was the other guy's name. He died in 2012. But it shows pictures of these men, n- now friends, hanging out together and, and doing this. And this reconciliation that happened, and this guy was able to go on and finally live his life because he reconciled with this other gentleman. And so Christ rose... And he is the mediator between us and God and between us and one another. And what this means functionally and practically then is Christians can pursue reconciliation because their reconciliation is ultimately in Christ. This gives us hope for our earthly relationships and it gives us certainty for our divine relationships. How many of you have difficult, divided relationships with believers right now? Or with someone right now? The only hope is that the two of you in Christ come together in Christ. He becomes the one who forgives. He becomes the one who suffers. He becomes the one who reconciles. He becomes the one who allows you to live in your identity together in him. So we're gonna close with the last few verses found in Ephesians chapter two. He closes with these verses, verses 19 through 22. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and member of God's household. And he goes back to these walls and he says this, he says, built now upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. First, we've been reconciled with God. Our vertical relationship is based on the cross. Second, we've been reconciled to one another, our horizontal relationship based on the cross. So the third part, building a new wall, one that doesn't keep you out of the presence of God, but one that will keep the presence of God in you. Let me say that again. The third part is is you're building a new wall, one that doesn't keep you out of the presence of God, but that will keep the presence of God inside of you. So how do we do this? By placing Jesus Christ as a chief cornerstone in our life. In doing this, our whole life becomes a holy temple for the Lord. So my closing statements to you this morning that I want to challenge you with, and if we have some people that, that some of our our prayer people that are in in the building, if you can just stand up, maybe come to the front. But what about your wall today? Look at each of those bricks, each of those hurtful things that you want to cling to. Once you were defined by them, once there was the other person far off on the other side and you on the other side, but now because of God's love demonstrated in Jesus and through the power of God's spirit moving between us, we can let go of the past. We can forgive the bricks and work towards a future peace in the presence of God. So if you just close your eyes real quick with me, and I'm gonna close in prayer, but I'm gonna throw a challenge out to you. I want you to think about the walls in your own life. Is there a vertical reconciliation that needs to happen this morning between you and God? Have you built up a wall between you and God because of something that you won't let go of? Maybe it's sin in your life. Maybe it's something you continually to do. A tearing down of the wall is something that you need to do. And if that's you this morning, I want you to raise your hand. If you are honestly feeling like there's a wall between you and God, raise your hand because we want to pray for you Because God says that he will vanish that wall. He'll knock that wall out. So I've seen a couple of hands here on the left. The second wall, is there a horizontal reconciliation that needs to happen this morning between you and maybe another person? If you build a wall up and there's not forgiveness or there's unforgiveness because maybe something that happened to you. And it wasn't something that you asked for. It wasn't something you caused, but you've built a wall. And God is challenging you this morning saying, you know what? We have this, this, this vertical relationship, but you're missing that horizontal relationship. If that's you this morning, will you just raise your hand so we can pray with you? If there's, there's a wall that you build up that's a horizontal wall, we want to be able to pray for you at this time. And last, maybe you're a believer, but you haven't been building your life with Jesus as the chief cornerstone. And you want to do that this morning. This is your opportunity. So we have people up here to pray for you and if you raise your hand, you want someone to talk to, someone to pray with, that's why they're here. That's why I asked them to come up. And as I pray and and as as I start this closing prayer, that's your opportunity to come up and pray with them or if you just want to sit where you're at and pray quietly saying, God, I need you to be my chief cornerstone or God, I need you to break down these walls. Let's do that this morning. Let's leave, leave this place and be reconciled to God through the cross and to others through Jesus Christ. So Father God, Lord... God, we are so thankful that we are not identified by the things that we've done wrong. God, that that you said that we are a new man, that we have been reconciled to you, God. That wall has been broken down through your son, through the death on the cross, through his blood, and now we have access to you. And God, some of us in this room are struggling with that right now. Because we keep going back to our past. And God, I pray for those of us in this room right now that have built walls between other people. And, and we've struggled in those relationships because of that. And we place this wall around us and we just won't let anybody in and we won't forgive and we won't give forgiveness. But God, I pray that you break down those walls this morning. God, this gives us an opportunity to reach out to you and say, God, I need your blood to bring reconciliation to this situation. And God, for the rest of us in this room that that know who you are and have been trying to to build on these these vertical and horizontal relationships, God, but we haven't been doing it with you as our cornerstone, God. Let you be the cornerstone of everything that we build on. That we can build a new wall that, that, that brings your presence into our life but doesn't separate us from you or others. So God, we give you this morning. Challenge us, Lord, to be a reflection of who you are, a true reflection of who you are. In your precious and holy name, Lord, amen. Amen. God bless you this morning. Thank you for being here. If you want to sit quietly, you can. Um, But uh, we just want to say thank you again for, for being a part of this. God bless you.